Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Fort Wayne Local Podcast. I'm your host, Jake McAfee. Today, our special guest is Mitch Stein. Mitch, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jake. So uh, Mitch is the founder and CEO of Pond, uh, and we're going to dive into what that is and, and the opportunity that it brings to the city. Um, but first, I kind of want to go back. Uh, Mitch was born and raised in Fort Wayne. He went to high school at Canterbury and then went on to the University of Pennsylvania, Wharton School of Business, um, where he eventually ended up as the corporate executive at Goldman Sachs. Uh, while he was there, he was in uh, technology banking, kind of running their strategic transactions for big tech companies, software, internet business. Um, and while you were in this role, you know, you kind of got your eyes open to how digital markets functioned. Um, and you saw maybe an opportunity to bring, you know, some effective, impacted minded uh, marketplace for nonprofits. Um, just going back a minute, what does that actually mean? You were running the strategic <laughs> transactions for, uh, for Goldman Sachs. Well, I was running is, is a generous term. You know, I, I was a vice president of the firm. I worked there for seven years. Um, but, you know, investment banking in that role, it's really an advisory capacity. So was helping companies with IPOs, like when they were going public, selling stock publicly, um, selling themselves to, a, you know, another company or wanting to buy another company, those types of strategic transactions. So I was working on the teams um, that were executing them. Uh, and I was in a few different roles at the bank, but that was my, my most recent um, pick of poison, so to speak. It's a pretty uh, intense world and job. And I think we can get more into it, but part of the part of what became really appealing about these ideas I was entertaining to start my own business was just like, I don't know if I can work like this for the rest of my life. <laughs> it feels yeah. like I need to find something else. So naturally, like all people who work at Goldman Sachs, you ended up in Fort Wayne. So <laughs> just kidding. So, okay. So let's do an overview. What is Pond? Can you give us kind of like the quick, quick overview on what it is? Yeah, of course. So the easiest way to think about Pond is it's like a dating app for business tools. Uh, and we're specifically focused on nonprofits. So what does that mean? Um, every organization, company, small business, startup, nonprofit is run on the back of tools. Um, your payroll, how you manage your sales, customers, donors, uh, beneficiaries, uh, all the, you know, how you communicate with people. Um, and there, there has been so much advancement in the technology around these kinds of tools, making them more accessible niche solutions that do all different types of things. There's thousands and thousands of things out there. So if you know much about the nonprofit space, the vast majority of nonprofits are relatively small. Um, like 95% of them are fewer than 50 employees. So what that means is you have a lot of people who probably don't have a background in technology um, working and running these organizations that all of a sudden have to wear all the hats, including deciding what tools to use. Um, and it's just impossible to navigate. Um, and so what we have created is a platform where a nonprofit can just create a listing. And that's why we call it like a dating app. They're kind of setting up their profile. They say like what they do, what they do currently use, problems they're having. It's very open-ended to meet them where they are. They could be looking for a very specific tool. They could just say, I just don't know what I don't know. And if you have something interesting, let me know. On the vendor side, the provider side, so anyone who's selling one of these tools or services that a nonprofit could use, they're able to go through those listings and select the ones where they're like, oh yeah, that's the right potential customer for me. I want to talk to them. Um, but what we do is create like that trust layer where it's really a safe space for the nonprofit to do that because they ultimately, they can see the requests from providers who saw what they're interested in or what needs they have, and they get to decide who they want to accept or not. But they know anyone that they accept is going to pay them $100. So we are taking that you know, the value, obviously for a company, anyone who's worked in sales or marketing knows how you, you pay for leads. You, uh, you are coming up with an estimate of how valuable the time and attention of a potential customer is, some ways more indirectly, some ways more directly. Um, and what we're saying is, well, how about we actually share that with your potential customer, in this case being the nonprofit, um, and they can build up a balance of funds to spend on these tools that they so often can't afford. So we're sort of systematically taking on barriers to better usage of these tools and technologies in the nonprofit space. People don't have time. We make it crazy easy. We bring things to you that are relevant. So you don't spend any time researching. People don't have enough money. You literally build up a balance to help you spend and afford the tools that can take your organization to the next level. 
Um, you don't have the expertise. You don't have to. You can just share problems you're facing and let the experts come to you with solutions. Um, and just the trust. Like, it's really tough. You always think someone's trying to sell you something. How do you know who to trust? Um, and here, it's all on your terms. It's on your time. It's literally based on the things that you share. Um, and then as you build that balance, based on the meetings you take with potential um, solutions, you know, if you take five, you've got 500 bucks to spend on something, which can be a total game changer. Um, so that's how the platform works for nonprofits. Um, it is, I think, as a company, as a brand, as a mission, um, you know, that's sort of technically how it works. But what we're just really about is empowering nonprofits, putting them all on equal footing, giving them equal access to um, all kinds of technology that can really change their missions. Um, and like I said, systematically taking on those barriers so that it really is accessible and really is empowering for people to think, oh, I don't just have to see what the free option is or where can I get the biggest discount just because I'm a nonprofit. I can actually think through the lens of what do I need? What's going to deliver the most value if we can take away some of those barriers that keep people um, from making that kind of decision? Yeah. And I, that's great. I feel like a couple of things stand out to me. One is like you said, you, someone who's making these decisions may not have the expertise or someone who does, this might not even be their, like they might have a full-time job. They might be business yeah. owners. They're volunteering their time. They don't have all the time that it takes to go vet all these different tech companies. And, and uh, it sounds like you're, instead of throwing them or the, you know, people who don't have the experience, instead of kind of throwing them to the shark tank, you're flipping it around where they kind of get a pick, but it sounds like it's more, distilled than like, I don't know if you're familiar with like Fiverr or Upwork, or mm -hmm. something, but I've, I've used those platforms. And sometimes there's like 300 people required, you know, inquire to my post. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, how do I even know yeah. where to start? So you're trying to like really filter it down and then let them do it in a non-pressure situation and, and then they can evaluate. Yeah. And it'd be like, so the Fiverr example or Upwork for anyone who's familiar those are more like individual service providers, like an individual contractor, freelancer, wants to do some web development or branding, graphic design. Um, there's no, like, they don't pay you to pitch you to solve the need that you have. So we've created like a small barrier where someone has to put their money where their mouth is to say mm -hmm. like, no, this is valuable for me to have this conversation. Um, and so that builds even a little bit more trust that it's not just like a random outreach. Um, and there starts to be some social validation because you can see what other members in the platform use. So you can be like, are there other organizations or people like me that use this tool or solution before I go ahead and accept the request? Um, the other thing, difference I'd highlight is we're more focused on um, products, like software tools, as opposed to like individual freelancers somewhere mm -hmm. because of that very reason where we want to be able to like show that there's other people using a solution, how have some standardization and framework. Um, there are some service providers, like you, people would refer to them as consultants or outsourced services, um, but not, not um, the model doesn't really lend itself to the individual service provider because there is that cost per meeting introduction, um, which makes a lot more sense from a business model perspective um, for like a software company, someone selling a product where there's scalability in that mm -hmm. versus my individual time. Okay. And, and it sounds like you're almost vetting both parties. Like you're bringing two, like just for sales, it's like you're bringing two willing vetted prospects together. Like they're both kind of looking at it as the same thing versus like one being more like I cold call. And there's times I, I call lots of people who just don't want to talk to me, you know, right. where you're kind of eliminating that you're like, they're both showing intent, you know, so it's more mutual. Yeah, it's a meeting where everyone wants to be there, which I think is just like anyone who's worked in sales ever. That's like the dream, um, which is really cool to see how uh, that changes the dynamic when people are meeting. Um, you know, the sales move faster. The feedback is better. People are more engaged. They weren't backed into a corner. Um, they the seller also knew more stuff that was relevant to in how to present their offering uh, because they got to see exactly the problem this person's facing in advance. Um, and that person is incentivized to share more because it brings them more relevant solutions. So while they can stay anonymous on the platform, and by the way, it's completely free for nonprofits. I didn't, didn't mention that, um, which is important because we, like we said, we're all about access uh, and equity with this offering. Um, but 
they and and they don't have to disclose like exactly what organization they're with or um, you know their identifying details because really the provider cares more about like the problem and like they need to know general information what roughly what size of an organization are you um, what is your what kind of role are you in generally are you a hospital or a soup kitchen you know like just giving them some frame of reference but they don't have to know every exact detail um, and so that's been you know the nonprofits that have been using Pond. They really like that kind of, like I said, that's the trust layer that they can like dip their toe in and it's comfortable uh, and they don't feel like it's overexposed into like the shark infested waters and really like keeping it on their terms, keeping it like a nice, comfortable, relaxing pond. That's really the goal. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well then let's talk about how does the company look right now? We're, we'll kind of go back and talk about how we got to this point, but mm-hmm. can you give us an overview of like how many employees you have, like how many vendors, nonprofits, that type of thing. Yeah, so where we are right now, uh, we have seven full-time team members. They're spread out around the country. Um, and we also have four kind of part-time or, or contracted work folks. Um, but there are five of us here in Fort Wayne within that 11. I <laughs> keep my math straight. Uh, then we've got folks in New York, Austin, Texas, and San Diego. Um, so I think it's just the way of the future that you're uh, you know, relatively remote and flexible. I'm taking this call from Boston right now. I'm on the road for a three-week roadshow, meeting the pond community in person, nonprofits where they are in seven different cities around the country, uh, because we just kicked off a big sweepstakes this week, um, giving away 13 $2,000 bonuses into nonprofits accounts on the platform. Um, and that's entirely sponsored by providers on the platform. So we're not taking any of the sponsorship money. It's 100% going back into the market, uh, which is just another example of how we're trying to kind of subvert, redirect how traditional marketing spend happens. Um, so I would just give that context of like, we really plan to be everywhere, but with a you know with our anchor uh, in Fort Wayne, um, which I think is, like I said, kind of the future of, of you know efficient, fast growth companies. Uh, which is the value we we get from starting in the pandemic. You know, we literally started week one of the pandemic was my first day on the job of oh, my geez. own startup. So we can get into that more, but um, that's how we've been built from the beginning. So uh, by necessity, but now I think it's a real asset. Um, in terms of the audience and the platform, you know, I think we have, as of recording, like 210 nonprofit members, but we've had almost 20 join just in the last few days, which is a huge jump from um, where we started. We're four months old. So with this platform, uh, so we're seeing a lot of growth um, on the provider side. We have over 130 tech companies that are using the platform already um, with more joining every day. Uh, for them, it's free to join as well. They only pay if and when they connect with someone. So we're keeping those barriers really low because uh, you know it's a marketplace. Anyone who has ever tried to start a marketplace, first of all, you know, probably never wanted to do it again because it's... Uh, <laughs> I, I always say to people when I'm talking to other startup founders, people who want to start new companies, uh, just a lot of people say, don't start a marketplace. Obviously that's like silly because there are people that start them and succeed at them, but you've got to like absolutely love and like eat, dream, breathe, sleep, that thing, because it's so hard. It's so much harder than just creating a product that you can sell to one type of customer. Because we've got, it's the chicken and egg of needing to bring everyone there at the same time, which is just always so incredibly hard to navigate. But once you get it going, the network effects are so powerful. And that's why people like marketplaces, because you can really rapidly grow and generate value um, in in an incredibly exponential way that's not quite so linear as creating and selling products. I'm assuming too, just by creating it, you're almost, you're getting a huge leg up. Cause if this works, you know, competitors are going to start coming into the space, but if you've already mm-hmm. developed relationships and you've got a huge head start too, that should give you a competitive advantage as well. I would think. Yeah. I mean, I, if, if someone wants to go try to corral <laughs> the, the, the market of nonprofit tech solution providers to get them onto the same page about anything, I, I welcome them to, to, to attempt to do that. Uh, you know, we've been at this for 16 months and I would say that is definitely just my best friends are LinkedIn, Zoom and Calendly. And I just like try to get an introduction from anyone I can to everyone across the space um, and just getting people to keep listening to me and try things out and show that we're continually improving and 
making it really easy for them to get it on board. Um, you know, that's how we have cracked it so far. And now I think the tide is already turning, particularly on the provider side where they are coming to us. Cause it's now like, well, what all of your competitors, you know, a big chunk of your competitors are here. Why aren't you here? Mm-hmm. And that's the conversations are just really changing from like skeptical to how can I take advantage of this? How, how can we best use this? How can we be, you know, more, have a better presence on the platform? How can we, like, can you come on our podcast? You know, like now all of a sudden you're seeing, we, we are kind of getting the collective value of that collective group um, and audience that builds on itself. Uh, and you, at some point in time, it just becomes a thing, right? You just become the thing. And that's, I don't, wouldn't say, I would not like calling it, it's not like we've arrived. Um, but we're definitely seeing like meaningful progress uh, towards that kind of status in the sector, which I think is possible because it is just such a scattered, um, disaggregated sector. And so when you talk about successful marketplaces, it almost always comes where there's super disaggregated supply or incredibly disaggregated demand. And for us, it's like that on both sides, like the nonprofit space. There's 2 million nonprofits. They're in literally every nook and cranny of the country. There's no like concentration somewhere. There's 4,000 nonprofits in Allen County. Um, and similarly on the provider side, like you could, anyone can start a software company. Like you just need to know how to code and all of a sudden you're, you're a software company and you're selling tools. Um, they're all over the world and there is no marketplace for this stuff. There's no, nothing has been dedicated to the things nonprofits use. Um, and so there's real value very quickly from just aggregating that thing, just the information of like, who's on the list, who are all the providers that do these things that doesn't exist. It's like in a blog post somewhere for one thing here and there, someone like posts on Facebook about it. Like that's the resource today. There is no actual central centralization of this information. Okay. And so yeah, now I'm like thinking I have all these side questions I want to ask you, but um, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I'm just thinking about how, like, how difficult you have to master like all these different pieces, you know, that like you said that aren't even together right now. Get them all together and then create the software to make it seamless. Um, take me back. Let's go back to the beginning though. So, like, where did this idea first come to you? Um, like, how how did you get? I know you it said in the the input Fort Wayne. I want to plug them because that's how I got connected to you. Um, the yeah. input Fort Wayne article, it mentioned, um, you know, why you were at Goldman, but what, how did this happen? Yeah, uh, it's good. It's a good story. Um, so I was, like I said, I was an investment banker for seven years. Um, but about five years ago, I started getting involved in um, nonprofit work just in my, my free time, which for the podcast listeners that have heavy air quotes around that. Um, but I joined an event called Cycle for the Cause, which is the Northeast AIDS ride from Boston to New York. So my dad and I um, started doing that six years ago. We had lost my uncle to AIDS. Um, and so someone I knew recommended I join the event. Um, and, you know, we set out to raise a few thousand dollars and we're excited to, you know, take on a big challenge together. It's 275 miles in three days on a bike. Um and we ended up raising over $400,000 for the organization in the past five years. Uh, so it turned into like a huge passion project for me. I got really close to the organization. I joined their board. Um, and so that was kind of my um, foray into the nonprofit world. And not that like being on a board means you know what it's like to run a nonprofit, but I just started to get some insight into how things happened. And um encourage them to look at some new tools. You know, I covered the tech space mm-hmm. and I was like, I think there are some things we could be doing better, particularly around fundraising. And I'm sure there has to be some better options out there. And then when I heard about their process of what they looked for and, and what that process looked like and tried to even do some of that myself, that's when I realized like, oh no, 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 there really is no way to do that. You call a friend, you they tell you what tool they use. You try to call another friend, the company, you know, um, creates a pitch deck like a software it's like it was really archaic they had to use a consultant to help them pick different things and i um for me the real like that first of all was frustrating you know as a fundraiser as an invest like i viewed myself as an investor in the organization um i was like i i just hate time being wasted because that's you know the people you're paying them that's super valuable for the organization but also um the the lack of um, 
options for them to invest in their infrastructure, their tech, their tools, how they could scale. For me, when I say support an organization, I know a lot of donors are like, oh, I want to make sure that money is getting uh, put into like feed a hungry child. And that's what's important. I'm no, I, I am like, I want to be supporting you, the organization to grow for the long term, which means investing in your tools, technology, your people, your infrastructure. Um, and there just was no way for them to do that effectively or efficiently. And I knew because they were a large, well-resourced organization. Um, and if it was that hard for them and that inefficient for them, it was completely inaccessible for the vast majority of nonprofits in the country. Um, so that was my, like, I couldn't sleep at night thinking about it. Um, and I actually started a project internally at Goldman. They have like an internal accelerator startup pitch competition thing where you can pitch an idea and they um, will fund you to be like an internal entrepreneur. And so uh, I was also kind of miserable in my job at the time. So I was like, oh, that sounds great. I could go. Uh, still get paid and, and be a founder here internally. So I got a team together and I pitched. I was like, well, there's such bad products that nonprofits have to choose from. So what if I just created something here that could be like a banking platform specifically for nonprofits um, that ties into fundraising? So we worked for like eight months on this thing. Um, we got, you know, there were like a thousand submissions. We were in the final eight. We did a week-long offsite with this big consulting firm, McKinsey. Um, where we worked on our business plan and ultimately pitched to the head honchos firm-wide investment committee and they turned us down and I think it was a really important lesson we learned was you know great idea with the product it sounds awesome it's the same as like a big market we don't think it's possible to go to market like we don't believe that we would be able to reach enough customers and make enough sales fast enough to justify this investment in a big company and for me that was a massive wake-up call that it didn't matter how great of a product I built, that the market was missing. The, the marketplace, the infrastructure was not there. And if you don't have that connection and it's so inefficient to go to market, then um, it just doesn't, you're not gonna actually make an impact. And so that's when my wheels got it turning around like, oh, I know marketplaces. I've covered companies like Expedia and Zillow and Carvana, you know, these marketplaces where they took on really big, intimidating, complex purchases for consumers who were not experts in those things. And by making a digital marketplace that streamlined the process, cataloged all the information, made things transparent, gathered feedback and reviews, they completely revolutionized those markets, made them so much more accessible. Uh, so that was the idea was like, okay, I, I don't need to go create the next fundraising tool. Um, I need to create the marketplace for all kinds of nonprofit tools. And that's going to help everybody better serve this space and make nonprofits better. So I was like, that was in October of 2019. It's like, okay, in five months, I'm going to leave and spend time like putting my business plan together until then and see if I can get some people to join me. And my, I put my two weeks notice in at the end of February. And I, my last day was on March 6, 2020. And I walked out the door and I remember like, as I was leaving, that someone was like, did you hear they just evacuated the 23rd floor because someone tested positive for COVID? And I was like, well, that's weird. Uh, so pretty quickly, um, obviously the situation deteriorated for everybody. And uh, I was actually supposed to go on vacation. I flew to Florida to take some time off before I started the startup and met my parents down there. And they were like, you're not going back to New York. So I, at the end of March, after staying there for a few weeks, I came back with them to Indiana to stay for a few weeks turned into a few months. Uh, and as things kind of evolved with the company, um, ended up just needing to continue to stay there. So still there, <laughs> like kind of the, the why in terms of why I'm back in Fort Wayne, I would describe it as like inertia, the universe. Uh, but it's, it's been really nice to get to spend so much time with my family for sure. I think, I think it says a lot. Well, first of all, by your relationship with your, with your family, but, uh, also humility, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that you were your coworkers that probably wouldn't take that big of a lifestyle sacrifice to make this happen. And I think it shows your passion. Like you're clearly all in, you know, like, I don't, <laughs> I don't think there's any question about that. Um, did you ever like off the, off the cuff, is there any, like, did you ever have any moments where you were like at your parents' house? I'm sure you had some struggles with the business where you're like, what, what am I doing? Like, oh yeah. I mean, so where we started, especially with the influence of those marketplaces I talked about, I was like, oh, we're going to be the Expedia of nonprofit resources. Um, and so that's what we built. And I was just pouring all of my own savings into it. Um, didn't raise any outside money. I was paying my, um, one other teammate, my co-founder, our CTO, 
uh, was paying her salary. Um, we hired some outside development help and we spent like five months putting this thing together, launched it in the fall and we couldn't get anyone to use it. And so I think we tried like a couple different things and we were just, were not getting any traction. And I mean, yeah, at that point I was like physically depressed for two months. Um, so like, I can remember there was a network, a big network on the East coast that was sharing it with like a thousand nonprofits. And they were like, oh, I'm sure that they'll like sign up and start using it. And we put a bunch of work into the presentation and all this stuff. Um, and I was waiting for them to let me know when they were sharing it with them. So I reached out to the person and was like, uh, hey, just checking like when you plan to send this out this week. And they were like, oh, we sent it out two weeks ago or two days ago. Ooh. And we hadn't gotten a single sign up. So that was just like an unbelievable gut punch. And I just remember like collapsing basically on my parents' kitchen floor crying. And I was just like, I, this isn't going to work. Um, so yeah, like basically that whole two months, I was just like, had no idea what I was going to do. But I, I think where we got to, first of all, was a realization of, um, in finding product market fit or starting a new business, you can't do it based off of what people tell you. Mm -hmm. You, you got to come up with a way to test their behavior. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's something you can, you'll hear that. in like every startup podcast you listen to but you, you just won't actually understand that until you do it the wrong way. That's, mm -hmm. I just don't know that there's a better way because everyone had said, oh yeah, that'd be great. This would be cool when we've done this before that it was so bad. We couldn't find the information. This will be awesome. Um, but then once we got to see people not engaging with it, it gave us the opportunity to ask why. And they said, oh, well, I, I'm sorry. I don't have time for the next few weeks. So it's like, they don't even have time to come look at this website. That's a clear issue. Mm -hmm. um someone would say oh well it's a pandemic i don't have extra money to spend on tools i mean obviously we know tools are gonna help save the money or make them more money but that's not the way this like the people's psychology works mm -hmm. um or people would say things like oh well i'm i'm not an expert i you know what do i know how am i supposed to look for i'm not a tech person we don't we don't have any tech needs uh and it, with that awareness knowledge gap um, the, what we were doing wasn't cutting it. And the biggest thing was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to put myself out in front of other salespeople. Like, oh, get called by them all the time. It's terrible. They won't stop emailing me. Uh, why would I ever do that? You know, so that those, you know, come back to the barriers. That's where we really learned them and like cut our teeth on them. And that's what caused us to iterate uh, through that failure and be like, you know, are we giving up or are we going to try something else? And we just kept like trying little things, experimenting, and that's where there was a bit of a light bulb moment through that was, oh, we had it backwards. The market actually is a market of potential customers that vendors want to shop for. And if we build our platform that way and share the value with the potential customer, now we start to solve for some of those incentive issues um, and get people engaged and really start, now it starts getting interesting. So um, yeah, that was the memory for sure, but it definitely blossomed into uh, a positive next step. Like who's to say we aren't going to, you know, fail again or need to pivot again, but we definitely are on, you know, I think we've, we've narrowed the aperture at least down to a path that we have a lot of conviction around and a lot of traction that we're just able to really run at. I, man, so many things come to mind. Like, I feel like number one, it shows how nimble you are instead of saying like, well, people are dumb and they don't even get how smart my idea is, you know? Yes. Like, you're saying, you're saying like, Hey, what do I have to do to show them the value instead? Like, I think that takes humility. And it almost sounds like in a weird, like ironic way, the need for this was almost like reiterated by the fact that like, you probably just sounded like one more thing that they had to like, learn how it worked and learn how to deal with and sign up and spend time on. They're just like, I don't even have time. And I think it's what you're saying. Like, I know you don't, that's why you need me. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm going to save you. But then I guess so that, that kind of takes me back a little bit of a technical question, but how did you estimate for like customer acquisition and like getting the marketing and awareness out? Like when you were first getting this idea off the ground, like how did you budget for that? You know, it's a good question. Cause you know, working when I was a banker, we like building financial models, you obviously had a good, view, you dealt with relatively mature companies. So you'd have a good view on like, what is their customer acquisition cost? How are they driving it down? How do they make things more scalable? And I think that was my expectation too, was like a similar question to yours. 
um, it is not so clean or linear when you're like getting your first five, 10, 20, 50, even 200 uh, customers. So for us, it was the most valuable thing was my time. So how can I decrease my time spent getting that incremental customer? Because honestly, the, the I would say 80% of the first 200 nonprofits that signed up, I spent at least a half hour on the phone with them telling them why they should. Mm-hmm. Why they should sign up for a free anonymous tool that takes <laughs> two minutes and is going to pay them if they use it. Yeah. It sounds ridiculous, right? Yeah. And, and you raised a really good point where you can't take that like, oh, well, these people are dumb. They don't understand how amazing this is. Like mm-hmm. that's, you, it's not amazing if you can't communicate it to people, mm-hmm. right? So it, it doesn't have any value if you haven't figured out your messaging. And we're still improving that. Like, I, I don't think we've, we've nailed that at all, but we're getting closer. It's just all about experimenting. So it's tough to say like a specific number. Um, and, and, you know, one thing I did in late May was I set a, a BHAG, if, if that's ever come up on your podcast, but a big, hairy, audacious goal publicly mm-hmm. where I said, we want to try to have 500 members on the platform in August. Um, and I did that not to say like, if we don't hit 500, then we're a massive failure. Um, but instead to say, yeah, I'm going to keep doing these one-on-one calls and keeping the introductions as they come. But if I don't test out more scalable growth channels, we're never going to get there. Mm-hmm. And, and we needed that kind of push as a team too. And so that's why we were like, okay, we're going to create a podcast. We launched that this week. We're going to create a promotional sweepstakes. We're going to figure out how to leverage our providers' networks for them to get their own customers to join Pond, um, because those are more scalable channels. We're going to get referral, like get a real referral system going, because those things are more scalable. So those are all the things we just released this week, and that's why we're seeing this big uptick in growth. And if you think about customer acquisition costs in terms of teams' time spent per mm-hmm. signup. Um, as opposed to a dollar amount, because we're not doing any advertising whatsoever. Um, it's all just like value of the team's time. I, uh, there was one moment about two months ago, um, which my dad loves telling people this story because I do think it's just very salient. Um, I reached out to someone, it was in their local in Fort Wayne and reached out to them on LinkedIn because they saw we had a lot of connections um, and just was like, hey, I see you run a really cool nonprofit. Like I'm trying to start something to help them. Would love to talk. Um, and she really graciously responded and was like, um, happy to meet. Uh, I don't think what you do is relevant to us at all. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like I'm, I'm always learning. And you know, like I said, at the very beginning, I, I was not a nonprofit leader, right? Mm-hmm. So the burden is on me to learn from everybody else constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and which I think is valuable, you know, to kind of like force you to be a sponge and not ever assume, you know, everything. Um, but we went and got coffee and ended up talking for an hour and a half. And by the end, she's like, oh, well, you know, we do have an auction in the fall and, you know, we've sort of done it all on paper. Are you saying there's like some tools we could use uh, to help run the auction digitally? And I was like, yeah, exactly. And she's like, like, oh, okay. That's what I've been trying to tell you. Yeah. But but like, you can't get frustrated. And, And I, but I came home to talk to my dad and I was like, I need to figure out a way to make that not take an hour and a half now, not to. Which is like, I, that sounds like- No, no, know, no. Like, I get what you're saying. It's, it's not scalable. I, you can't spend an hour yeah, and a half like, coffee with every person. Exactly. It was amazing. And, and now we're really close and it's like a great connection. By the way, she found the thing that she needed to use. She then was like, she's shouting pawn from the rooftops, posting about it on LinkedIn, totally unprompted. Now like giving us testimonials and all that kind of stuff. So it's like, but that journey from mm-hmm. like, she only took a leap because of all these connection points we had so that's not scalable to people that I don't know yet, right? That they would take yeah. time to talk to me. And th- so it's like, how can you start um, improving that process? I think the biggest thing is, as evidence here, then this person started telling everyone that they knew. And I think in particularly in the nonprofit sector where people are really guarded, a lot of people in the space, especially if they've been there for a while, oh, they've seen this story before I got taken advantage of, or like it was too good to be true, or you know, I ended up getting gouged at the end or whatever there, you know, there's a reason that there's a lack of trust in the space. Mm-hmm. It's not unwarranted. Mm-hmm. And so it, I could hire a hundred salespeople and they would not do as good of a job as a hundred like rabid fans that understand mm-hmm. what we do and can't stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's awesome. I didn't mean to be hard on her. I knew, I knew what you were, I knew you were trying to say, you know, you just, needed yeah. that one, you just needed that one breakthrough. Um, so I was reading you guys are, what's next step? Is it, I think I read in the article capital, you guys are looking for more capital to kind of take the next step, probably to do the things we were just talking about as far as like awareness and whatnot. Yeah. So a big part of, um, you know, what I've been up to over the last two months, pretty intentionally with my own time has been, uh, you know, focusing on growth. Um, how do we get more people at the party? Uh, how do we get some evidence about different growth channels that work um, so that we go raise capital to say, this is why we want to do this thing um, because we've seen the impact it can have. Um, and so I am on the road for the next two and a half weeks doing events, gathering nonprofits, kind of spreading the good word about Pond and the sweepstakes that we're running and um, getting lots of awesome engagement. I mean, the cool thing about in-person now is it's like great the people you get to talk to in person, but there's also awesome amplification that comes from the people that are there through social channels, um, you know, local press coverage, all that kind of stuff. So um, getting some reps of these different like ways to grow, I think is a big one. Um, and then like you mentioned, taking that into a capital raising process um, cause we just know there's so much opportunity to scale here. Um, obviously the nonprofit sector is huge in and of itself. Um, and most people who hear us talk about this platform, if they don't work at a nonprofit are like, well, wait a second. I, I just, I work at a small business and we had to pick a payroll, you know, platform or HR tool or payment processor, website built, whatever. We've got lots of business tools. No salesperson ever paid me to talk to me to like try to sell me something. Like it's sort of a it's a bit of a Pandora's box, honestly, around advertising, right? Like yeah. all these advertising channels, we've kind of been duped into saying, like, yeah, for the privilege of consuming that media, uh, you get to monetize my time and attention. And I think we're really on to something much bigger that starts to kind of undermine the business models of Facebooks and Googles of the world. Um, and so that, I mean, that's like the bigger picture opportunity that I, I kind of appreciate that we're the nonprofit space is our sandbox. Number one, because we're going to have an amazing impact on the organizations in space, putting tons of money back into their pockets to be spending and improving their impact. But number two, and that's why, you know, our podcast we were talking about earlier, we started a podcast this week called The Kids Table. And everything you're, everything related to the nonprofit sector is like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> Good you know, for you it's, guys. it's like Good so great. Guys. It's so great you want to help somebody with your time. <laughs> Good on you, chap. You know, like kind of pat you on the head. Um, and I'm like, that's fine. Like you can underestimate what we're doing, but we see so clearly how this is applicable to broader business startup world and eventually even things that consumers, individuals buy. Um, you know, who knows where that could go. And um, it's, it is a really cool position to be in. So that's sort of the story we're taking to uh, investors and figuring out what's going to be the best, the best fit for us. Yeah, I could, man, I mean, just, you know, selling real estate um, with starting a team, you know, I have a CRM, I have data tracking software, I have QuickBooks, um, you know, graphic design, there, there's all kinds of stuff. And it was, it was hard to put that all together. Um, and we're still tweaking it. So I feel like if like looking back at how much time I spent, if I could have just had it, you know, these are like the vetted, even, I don't know, five, 10, 20, whatever. And like a more concise plan. And it's, it's a lot of work getting something going to begin with. And like you said, with, with nonprofit, either they're not equipped or maybe this is like a, you know, like when you were serving on the board, you were doing something else full time. That was incredibly stressful. So like just the yeah. thought of, like you said, like how big this could get is probably pretty exciting. Um, yeah. So as you grow, then, um, are you planning on staying in Fort Wayne? Yeah, I think it would be silly uh, as a business, particularly one that is incredible, like all remote and mobile to make some like uh, definitive commitment, uh, depending sure. on, on what comes up. Sure. Uh, I, I think for me, I want to be all over the place. Like I said, I'm, I'm on the road this week. And I think that's one of the best things I could do as a CEO with my time is being in community um, with these organizations all over the country as much as possible. Um, so that's, you know, how I want to spend my time. And I love that the company is based there and get to spend lots of time with my family. Um, and that we built some really great, um, team members and, and things locally. So, I mean, there's no reason we can't 
continue to be headquartered there and, and have a strong presence there. Uh, it's been interesting talking to people locally because they're they're like suspicious of of le us leaving, and I and I can't help but ask like maybe you could reframe that question to say what can Fort Wayne do to make sure you don't leave. Ah, because um, I, I think that's the truth, and and yeah. and you know people people also want to criticize like oh well most of your employees don't work here, and it's like well that's the future of the world is the flexibility of remote work so. Mm -hmm. um, if you would you rather have a company with a thousand employees and 50 of them work in Fort Wayne or none? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. I mean, that was, that was something the, uh, I, I talked with the mayor and that was his whole, his driving force aside from all the normal things is, uh, trying to make an, you know, an eco-friendly business environment where people want to be. Yeah. And it definitely, there's no way to know, like, you know, if there's opportunity and you think the business is better elsewhere but it sounds like there's no plans to leave it's just like we'll see no. how it goes and and go from there and honestly i mean the other thing from like a broader community economic perspective um is just kind of the the social environment in um in the city you know as a gay person that lived in manhattan for seven years it's a pretty different experience uh being in fort wayne and, and it's not just like that the community is small you know that there's just a, a, a long way to go for most businesses and people locally to be uh, conversant <laughs> in being uh, LGBTQ affirming uh, in terms of how they interact with each other and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that, especially as Fort Wayne thinks about being a hub of remote work and you know, younger uh, employees and tech companies, like all the things you want for an economic perspective for a city. Uh, you know, I do think that there's ground to make up and just experiences I've had locally of discrimination um, that it's real, it still exists. There's a lot of, um, a lot of misunderstanding and a lot of missteps that people make in interacting with people. Um, and that's just the LGBTQ perspective. There's obviously other versions of that for women and in business and black people and um, all kinds of you know, other forms of diversity. So I, I do think that is a consideration and important from an economic development perspective to spend some real time thinking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious uh, on your take on it, but I, I feel like I'm optimistic that things are shifting, even though there's still a ways to go. I was, I was in Orlando, Florida for 12 years. I came back two years ago um, and saw a big change. And then you know, now with like electric works and all the things that are going on downtown. I mean, I've met people who are coming in from, you know, LA, San Francisco, yeah. Arizona. Like, I feel like we have an influx of different cultures right now. So I, I feel like I'm pretty optimistic that while there is some ground to be made, um, yeah. that it's trending in the right direction. Are you seeing the same thing? Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say, cause I've, we've all been like working remotely. So it's sort of like my experience in Fort Wayne has mostly been in my parents' house, you know, so it's yeah. like, uh, a little bit, you know, not definitely not like the definitive voice on it all. Sure. Um, but I, 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 I think it's, I agree that there's definitely uh, a bit of demographic shift and um, that is super helpful. It's just something that won't change just from people moving here because of the power dynamics that be. So yeah. I, I do think I will continue to shout that from the rooftops wherever I can, mostly just because I can, right? Like I do have that flexibility mm -hmm. and I, and I, and I'm not taking a risk by talking about being gay and being who I am. But the truth is that a lot of people don't have that type of comfort to do yeah. so. Um, and so I feel a real obligation to do that. And I would, and I think it, you need more people who don't have a reason to, to also be a bit of a standard bearer. Um, because, you know, you hear a lot of companies that are like, you know, they don't have any LGBTQ resources in their company because they don't have any gay people. And you're like, mm -hmm how can you assume that like what a oh. crazy thing right well yeah. one you, one it's like well if you have it, it might more might come to you but also there how would you know? the, the stats on the number of people who are not out at work in this country are alarming mm -hmm. um and it, it we all think like oh gay marriage is passed like what's it's all behind us but mm. uh it's there's so much more um, beyond just like legal acceptance, right? Like that's like the bare yeah. minimum in terms of being truly inclusive and celebratory of others. 
Um, so anyway, I just, I will continue to beat that drum and I think it's important to be intentional and, and proactive about it where we can. Yeah, I would agree. And that's why I wanted to have you on the pod was just to, you know, whatever message you had. Um, and I think yeah. it's easy to maybe, I don't know, take for granted, obviously being straight, but I was in Orlando for 12 years. Um, the owner of the brokerage I worked at was gay. A lot of the agents were gay. It was like, I don't know, it's just, you know, you don't even think about it, but then I, and I come back and being straight and I guess, you know, that's something that I don't even have to think about on a daily basis that you obviously is clearly a big factor in how you're going to build your company and, and where you want to set up shop. So I'm glad you got this message out. So I hope, I hope people yeah. are hearing you. So, <laughs> but, Appreciate um, it. and then something else I wanted to ask, um, how is, what are some of the positives of Fort Wayne versus like, you know, the, the, the blue bloods, if you will, of tech, you know, New York, yeah. San Francisco, Austin, totally. like those, what, what advantages do you think you have over those cities? Yeah, well, I think a lot of what, um, you know, bigger city tech environments bring is this focus on um, kind of algorithmic scalability, right? There's like this, you're solving for the thing that all of a sudden becomes like mass efficiency. And it's like your total focus right out of the gates. Um, and yet simultaneously, every startup knows you have to do the things that don't scale first um, and you need to figure out like the human element and then start scaling it. I think there's something about the interaction with people getting on the ground in community at the grassroots level, figuring out how this platform can work with them um, and having, a, a you know, people really seeing that it's built for you. You're not used to things like this being built for you either in Fort Wayne or as a nonprofit organization. Um, and I think there's a ton of value in taking that more like direct human approach to how you build tech. Um, that is hard to do in a, you, it's easy to get really biased in a New Yorker or San Francisco where you think everyone, like your audience is the city around you. I mean, I listened to a podcast the other week with, and, and by the way, this has been a really interesting like self revelation coming back to Fort Wayne after being in New York City, where I listened to a podcast interview with Mark Andreessen, who is one of the founders of Andreessen Horowitz, which is one of the biggest VC funds and kind of most storied VC funds in the world, venture capitalist. Um, and for an hour interview, he literally only ever talked about New York and San Francisco. It was like the middle of the country didn't exist in his assessment of the tech landscape. Um, and you're just like, wow, what, like, what a miss if yeah. you, if you don't have, um, companies who are on the ground, you know, like I said, in community, in relationship with these people, meeting them where they are. And I think that's a lot of what got us to a really innovative model, not just doing like where we started was kind of trying to repeat someone else, something someone else had done in a different market. And where we got to was a really innovative approach because I think we were here on the ground, really in community with people. That's awesome. I, and that's, that goes to, you know, I, we talk about all the time with my team, like it's not what we want, like the videos that we yeah. want, the posts that we <laughs> want, it's about what the market wants and it's about what the consumer wants. And I talk about it probably to the point where my team gets annoyed, but it sounds like that's exactly what you did. You know, you found like the most underserved, neglected, like middle America, small, I mean, you know, second biggest city in Indiana, but smaller city, um, a place where probably not a lot of tech startups are happening. And it's like, it kind of fits just from the little I've gathered from you, like the chip on your shoulder. It's like, all right, you think four wings not important. Well, we'll show you then. Yeah, you know? totally. Uh, and, and it's, it's a lot of what, I mean, I've always heard this from people that like McDonald's tests out their new sandwich in the <laughs> Fort Wayne market, right? It's like, what, why wouldn't people build tech around the same thing? Cause it's, it's a very representative um, community to explore, you know, new product development, and yet nothing's happening really on the on the tech side, which is super interesting. That's great. I'm, I hope, man, I hope people made it this far in the interview because that was uh, <laughs> that was really cool. So I'm gonna wrap up. Um, what's your favorite thing about living in Fort Wayne? Uh, you may get this one a lot because I think it's a lot of what draws and keeps people here, but it's just your family. I mean, um, I'm super, super close to my parents and my sister, uh, and they all live locally. And I think we have so many friends that become like family too, and you've grown up with them and all lived around each other. So to, to me, community here, I think is defined by like extension of your family. Um, and I built a lot of that living in New York and really amazing friend groups. Um, but it has been incredibly, uh, it has been really amazing to have that kind of support system and network around me. 
um, in a way that's a really like extensible into the community beyond just my nuclear family. Um, so that's, that's definitely it for me. Yeah. I, me too. You know, and having come back, I'll say, I talked about this. Are you familiar with Davies bagels? Have you had them yet? Someone just mentioned this last week, but I actually, I haven't been. Yeah. So he, I interviewed him. He came from, I think he came from LA and he's from, from like Columbia city bounced around, went to LA, came back, started Davies bagels, been a smash hit. And he was just like, in sh- like awe of how many people are rooting for him. And I feel like I've had, I've had the same experience since I've come back. I feel very blessed. Like people have been so supportive and uh, you know, I'm hoping that you find the same thing where I, I feel like Fort Wayne wants Fort Wayne to win really bad, you know, like yeah. the people that are from here to like go out, win, represent them, do the right things. And um, I, I hope you have the same experience because that, that community is what I've experienced as well. So yeah, no, absolutely. And okay. definitely, I think we even had our like launch party for the podcast and for the new sweepstakes on Monday um, we had like 50, you know, leaders in the community there, the local news, we were at Utopian Coffee. Uh, it was really cool seeing the the community kind of rally and support like that. That's awesome. And so you, okay, so you mentioned the podcast. I want to finish with how can people connect with you? You mentioned the Kids Table yeah. podcast. Um, how else can, if people want to learn, get involved, work with you, be a vendor, you know, how do, how do they connect with you? Yeah. So uh, number one thing is just go to our website. It's join, J-O-I-N, pond pond.com so joinpond.com um it's self-serve to sign up as a nonprofit or a vendor um you can also just email me if you've got questions i'm mitch at joinpond.com um we're super active on social so follow me or in the company on linkedin um follow us on facebook twitter instagram um we do a lot of great creative stuff uh on the marketing side so you'll really enjoy um and on the podcast front uh, the Kids Table is a uh, deep dive into local impact stories in Fort Wayne. Uh, we interviewed seven nonprofit leaders on site at their organizations, really meeting them where they are and, and getting down to the meat of the conversation uh, about what it's really like to lead a nonprofit and the impact they're having and, and what they wish more people understood about their work. Um, amazing stories locally. We just have some really rich um rich impact community and leaders. So I would really encourage everyone locally uh, to listen to that podcast, The Kids Table. Yeah, definitely. I'll check it out as well. Mitch, thank you for your time. We're definitely going to be rooting for you. I appreciate you sharing your story and and I love the passion. I, I consider myself a passionate person and I love, like I can see it in other people and I, you definitely got it, man. So we're excited to watch your journey. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. See ya.